I'm Jordani Karma, and I've loved to read ever since I can remember, but I haven't always understood how to find the books that work for me. In the last few years, I've put focus time into my reading life to explore new-to-me genres and find the reading frameworks that work for me. I've gone from being completely lost in a sea of titles to homing in on the exact reads that will be amazing for me. In this season, I'll share my very first time keeping a reading journal, and I'll recommend the titles I discover and love along the way along with specific practical tips to help you find the books you need in your reading life. This is Season 3, Episode 8 of Reading Like an Adult, and in this episode, we're going to talk about how reading can be a form of self-care that lets you grapple with difficult topics between the safe pages of a book. I still have this fantasy in my mind of being a slow, thoughtful, careful reader who keeps a meticulous and beautifully handwritten reading journal. I'm not sure if that will ever happen, but in the meantime, I've discovered an amazing invention that lots of readers, maybe you, have been using for years, book darts. This simple tool has been amazing for my reading life. My struggle with a reading journal is that, as much as I tried, I can't seem to keep a physical reading journal with me at all times, and I don't like interrupting the flow of my book to open my phone and type a favorite quote into my digital reading journal. As I've talked about before, I also struggle to remember what I read, and sometimes I close a book I enjoyed without being able to name anything specific about it. Enter Book Darts. If you're not familiar, they're small arrow-shaped markers that are intended to mark a specific sentence in your book without harming the page. It's a better version of a post-it note. I bought some sticky notebook darts that I keep in my bag of pens and in my various notebooks. When I come across something in a book that makes me stop and think and reread it, it really is worth it to take a few seconds to grab a book dart and stick it on that line to come back to later. I'm finding that this method helps me when I have that moment where I finish a book, know that I loved reading it, and can't seem to remember exactly why. I can go back to the passages I marked with book darts, reread a favorite quote or two, and make some notes in my reading journal, and reinforce my memory. For example, I recently read The Poet's House by Jean Thompson. The story is what industry people would call low concept. In other words, it's not a flashy premise that you can explain in one sentence that immediately tells people what the book is about. I really loved this book while I was reading it, but afterward I struggled to know how to recommend it to people. The main character, Carla, works for a landscaper and gets assigned to the house of a mysterious and beloved poet. Carla meets the poet, and through her, she connects with a full poetry community of quirky characters. It was wonderful to be able to go back through my book darts and find little places in this book that reminded me why I love the story. This quote I marked with a book dart and then copied down in my reading journal reinforced the magic of the poet's house for me, not letting me walk away from this read without truly remembering it. I was thinking how far away what he said was from the way I'd come to poetry, the way it had gobsmacked me and sent me out into the world breathing a new, charged air, how it made me feel that words might burn if you touched them. One of the books I read for my year of nonfiction is now filled with book darts, but we'll get to that. I got bogged down in a good way with my August reading, and then the fall started to fly by, so I'm treating this as a catch-up episode. In August, I read about sobriety. This is a scary topic for a lot of people, and not necessarily for the reasons you think. We all know that alcohol addiction can wreck lives, 
But I wanted to read about this topic because I've started to realize that alcoholism is a wider spectrum than we've been taught to believe. The first of two books I read for this topic was Nothing Good Can Come From This, a memoir in essays by Christy Coulter. It's a smart, tender, often hilarious essay collection about Coulter's mindset shift when it comes to alcohol. She thought for years that alcohol made her feel free, made her feel more like herself. But after too many hangovers, too many uncomfortable incidents where alcohol left her defenseless, and too many moments lost to being too drunk to really remember, Coulter stopped drinking. Here's the thing that was unusual about this sobriety memoir. Coulter wasn't living as anyone's definition of an alcoholic. She details her life as a successful professional who's happily married, but still fueling her life with alcohol. She describes a high-stress cycle of pushing yourself all day until the only thing that can help you relax at night is a glass or two or three of wine. In other words, she consumed what's considered a fairly normal amount of alcohol and experienced a typical adult number of hangovers until she started questioning why we think these things are normal and typical. I also went through a time in my life when I needed a glass of wine every night to keep going. I was stuck in jobs that were tangentially political. I was stressed all the time and hadn't yet learned how to navigate stress and anxiety in healthy ways. I was lonely. I worked from home and was laser focused on saving enough money to escape the Washington DC area, so I left my apartment complex maybe once a week. I was depressed, stuck in a pit of thinking I had failed in my career. There was no more work for me to do, and no one would ever need me. I saw myself as a waste of space. I look back on this season of life, and I see an alcoholic. I didn't drink during the day. It never affected my work or family relationships, and I didn't create any public spectacles. I stuck to that one glass of red wine in the evening during the week, and waited until the weekend to indulge more mostly privately at home. But I couldn't bear to live without that glass of wine to get me from one day to the next. And to me, that kind of need is what defines an alcoholic. Over the years since, I've slowly cut back on how much I drink. When I moved to North Carolina, I needed to drive, so I didn't feel comfortable drinking more than maybe one cocktail while out with friends. During the early days of the pandemic, I was alone and felt I needed to stay clear and alert. Then I met someone who rarely drank, and it was freeing not to have drinking take center stage in our life together. Through all of these stages of less drinking, my writing flowed, and my creativity caught fire, and I realized how much alcohol dampens both of these things. Which brings me to my second sobriety read, started in August. Quit Like a Woman, The Radical Choice to Not Drink in a Culture Obsessed with Alcohol by Holly Whitaker. Part memoir, part sobriety handbook. This honest and practical read sometimes feels long and a bit overly detailed, but the breadth of information, cultural analysis, and personal story that it covers in one book is impressive. Whitaker starts with medical studies that show the effects of alcohol. It's detrimental to sleep, and it attacks key parts of your brain that are responsible for memory and decision-making. As Whitaker shows, it's also the ultimate distraction to keep you from connecting with yourself and other people and truly experiencing life. Whitaker's book is different because it shows a completely different picture of a recovering alcoholic than we've been taught. Shying away from the word alcoholic altogether, 
Whitaker presents the idea that living without alcohol can be far more joyous and vibrant than life with it. That, in fact, people who stick with alcohol are the ones giving up on the full life experience, not the other way around. By the time I finished this book, it was filled with book darts marking studies I wanted to research further and observations about society and the little ways alcohol is entangled with almost every aspect of our lives, as well as some of Whitaker's encouraging descriptions of a life without alcohol. Self-care is a phrase that's been misused in our culture to mean doing whatever feels good. True self-care is doing the difficult work that's needed so you're healthier, stronger, more yourself, and more able to care for other people in the long term. Self-care is making time to go to the doctor or to a therapist. It's exercising and eating foods that make you feel good. It's logging off social media when your brain becomes frantic and going for a walk instead. I think reading about difficult topics can be a form of self-care. Books let you tiptoe closer to an idea and examine it in a gentle, objective way. They give you a window into what your future could look like before you commit to any radical change, and they both allow you to walk in someone else's shoes to experience their struggles and give you a healthy distance from any challenge or loss or grief between the pages. In our last segment, I want to recommend a book I keep thinking about. I just read it this summer, but I'm already itching to reread it and step back into the world it creates. Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow by Gabrielle Zevin is a book I'd recommend to any devoted reader who wants to be swept away by a big story, but it's also the novel I'd hand to someone who doesn't usually seek out stories in book form. At its best, the novel as an art form has almost no limits. You're immersed in the pain and triumph and heart of a character, or multiple characters. Time, space, perspective, the normal limits of our real lives no longer need to be barriers. If you've ever wished a film story could be told as both a sweeping and cinematic epic and a raw, weird little indie flick, somehow both at the same time, Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow is a reminder that a brilliantly executed novel can do that. Sam and Sadie are two gamers who decide to create their own world together. This is a story about legacy, what can happen, both good and bad, when you think big picture and long term about creative success, and that creative success actually happens. It's a story about that strange fine line between friendship and need that exists between creative partners. Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow explores facets of creativity that rarely get this kind of focused attention. Thanks for listening. You can visit readinglikeanadult.com to find a list of all the books mentioned in this episode. If you'd like more book recommendations or even a personalized reading list of your own, please check out my Substack newsletter, People Who Like Things. Subscribers will immediately get access to the two parts of my summer reading guide with even more recommendations for amazing books. This episode was written, narrated, and produced by me. I'm Jordan Karma, and I'm glad you're joining me on this reading journey. In the next episode, we're going to continue my year of nonfiction by talking about food. I can't wait.